This is an ABC podcast. Perfect conditions in Perth for the first day of this first test match in Australia involving Sri Lanka. One summer. As you would expect from someone from Jamaica, he does have some peace across the ground. Every summer. A big, airy cover drive. It's one of those shots that look fabulous when it comes off. It's also one of the shots that I'm afraid look pretty stark when it doesn't. The dancers changing. And that's the perfect Philip uh, for the West Indies. The left arm spinner with the perfect delivery. But the dance forever the same. And Chidambaram Stadium is rumbling and bubbling. This is Everlasting Summer, the story of cricket on the ABC. I'm Amanda Smith, and in this episode, with more countries playing international cricket more often and new voices on the air, cricket starts to diversify. Amanda, I'm not uh, a cricket tragic. I'm a victim of cricket. So uh, it played a huge role in my life, and it still does. Dashak Mehta came to live in Australia in 1988. I grew up in Bombay, India. Now, you might assume that Darshak, as a cricket fan, would have started listening to the cricket on ABC radio once he'd arrived in Sydney. Actually, it was long before that. Ah, uh, I was in Bombay. I would have heard the broadcast given the time difference between India and Australia would most likely be, you know, waking up Early morning, it would be 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock. Half the excitement or the problem was, would I be able to get reception of Radio Australia on whatever frequencies that um, I thought I could access? And when I could, it was like lotto. I had hit the jackpot. I think after that ball, Patoni has read this wicket immediately. He's brought another slip in, and it's gone. he's gone to third slip. Meantime, Kalkani is moving into bowl to Laurie, and Laurie lets it go again. Bad bowling here, three Well, I'm from Trinidad, and I came to Australia in 1989 after spending two years in Canada. Roger Phillips was also listening from afar as a youngster. In Trinidad, because we listened to cricket on radio. There was no television. There was only radio. And that was the only source you could find about cricket. But, you know, to be honest, I didn't take too much notice of the commentators, who they were, but it just was important to listen to West Indies play, and that was the main thing, listening to West Indies cricketers overseas. Yeah. Yeah, know, because cricket was such an important part of our life in the Caribbean. Yes, of course. But, you know, at that time, remember, the West Indies, going back in, let's say, the 50s, West Indies was not a dominant factor in cricket. But it was nice to hear from time to time when they, they did well. Yeah. And, of course, at that time, remember, you had the three Ws. I don't know if you know about that. Worrell, Weeks and Walcott. The big cricketers at the time. Yeah, yeah. And when I was in Trinidad, I remember listening to the tie test. Last man for Australia, two balls to go in this test match. All back at his bowling mark. That 
You know, that was one of the best things that could happen to cricket in the West Indies. Actually, I can picture myself sitting on the floor just listening because because of the time difference. You know, it was coming in the morning very early and I remember sitting on the floor just listening. And here's the single that wins the match for Oh, it was wonderful. And of course, I remember also Australia coming to the West Indies in the time of Alan Border. But that's the time when they were very dominant. And I remember everybody was singing, um, you know, a chant about why did Alan Border bring such a poor side? That was when West Indies was on top and they used to finish a test match in three days. West Indians love cricket, love cricket. It's part of their DNA, <laughs> especially when they're winning. <laughs> and coming back to Darshak Mehta with another memory still in Mumbai. Again, it would be very early morning and uh, there would be about five of us, uh, but increasing at the rate of one every 15 minutes, there would be by the time, you know, it got to about a decent hour, say 7.30 in the morning, there would be at least a cricket team full of people on the lawns of the Cricket Club of India congregating around a large transistor radio, which uh, was quite powerful, had a long antenna. So there we were, 5.30 or 6 in the morning, sitting on wicker chairs, the radio in front of us on a table with either coconut water or tea and uh, absolutely enjoying the conversation that was taking place on air. A very good batting performance by India to be one for 171. Yardley again bowls to Chauhan, plenty of air. He drives beautifully through long off. So Radio Australia was amazing. It was literally cultural imperialism, but in a good sense. <laughs> and even though usually it wasn't good news because Australia was such a strong team and the Indian team were not very good tourists. They were tigers at home and lambs abroad at that time. So to be able to tune in and listen and argue and also sometimes miss words because the Australian accent to me was not, and to others in India, was not very easy to understand or follow. But we sort of got the hang of it eventually. Lily Bowles to Ben Saka. And Vinsaka plays him nicely behind point. Higgs coming in from third man to field. They take one, they're coming back for two. By the 1970s and 80s, there were more international teams touring Australia more frequently than ever before. Sri Lanka played its first test match against Australia in Australia in 1988. And the West Indies, Pakistan and India were touring far more regularly, partly because international travel was easier and easier. But according to cricket writer Gideon Haig, for other reasons too. Well, for one thing, it denotes that there's more money in the game. You know, previously, those tours had lost so much money that they could be held only intermittently. Uh, test cricket in Australia had become more lucrative. It was possible, if not to not lose money, not to lose too much. Uh, there were a growing number of test match countries, a growing number of competitive teams, 
a better quality media that offered people a greater understanding of what was happening around the world, a greater awareness of Australia's place in the cricket firmament. Uh, hence, to to be an ABC radio cricket listener was to participate vicariously in summer's pageant. The unfolding of the story, the arrival of the team, the dawning awareness of its chief personalities, a greater appreciation of how Australia competed, how good Australia was relative to that competition. There's more to fight for. It's a more diverse and it's a more um, exciting cricket scene. And what's that meant for ABC Radio's coverage of cricket? Jim Maxwell. That diversity. Well, one of the issues was getting a voice uh, from that part of the world. And initially, there was a guy from Pakistan who used to be here in Pakistan, Iftikhar Ahmed, who actually worked for Singer in Hong Kong, but he, he was very good on cricket and he was well-known. But as far as India is concerned, Harsha Bogle came along in the early 90s and put his hand up to work for us. Ah, oh, Amanda, that's going back. To, I, I feel so old when I think back to that young, uncertain, shy, inexperienced fellow who landed in Brisbane. And it was so different broadcasting on the ABC from anything I had done before because I had done, I'd done a handful of games, really. I might have done two test matches on the radio. That's all I had done. So I think I stumbled my way along initially. Shot and he's caught. What a lovely catch by, uh, by Ian Healy. That ball was so that was one of our problems until we managed to sort out either a former player as an expert, and we probably pinched him from television, or a ball-by-ball commentator like Harsha Bogle. Um, West Indies, certainly. Tony Cozier was the voice. South Africa didn't come back into the fold until the 90s, and Gerald de Kock was very much the voice of uh, South African cricket. So normally we had a voice of some sort we could introduce to the commentary to make it sound balanced and certainly informed, but not always easy to do, particularly away from places like Sri Lanka to find someone who could do the job properly. But the coming of Harsha Bogle was a revelation in terms of the uh, India-Australia broadcast because really up until... uh, Oh, the 80s, I suppose, India-Australia test match cricket had been a very irregular affair. When you think they came out here in 47-8 and not again until 67-8 and then a little bit more frequently until modern times when we want them all the time because they're very good for the coffers. Here's McDermott. He's got the edge and he's gone. Just as I was telling you that he's showing pleasing temperament, flirting with one outside the off stump. That all was seeming away after pitching. Tendulkar went for it, got the edge, and Healy doesn't drop too many. When I first came to Australia, actually, I'll tell you a little story. Because foreign exchange was very difficult to get, and uh, without the foreign exchange, I couldn't get a visa. By the time I got my visa, there wasn't enough time to go to the bank. I missed my flight. Then I had a connecting in Hong Kong. I actually landed in Brisbane on the morning of the first test match. My flight landed at 8 o'clock for 11 o'clock start. And all I knew, I didn't know where I was going to stay. All I knew was there was a colleague who stayed at a motel run by a Sri Lankan 
very close to the Vulture Street end. So I've just gone there, dumped my bags, had a shower, picked up something and come running to the Gabba with its old dog track around, remember? And then finding my way up and I met Ian Chapel on the way. He pointed me somewhere else as a prank and then had a laugh and called me back. And then I've gone into the ABC studio and there's everybody there. And they're looking very quizzically at this young fellow who's so cool as to land up on the morning of a test match all the way from India. You won the toss, Alan Border. What have you uh, decided? Uh, we decided to bowl first. Tempted to bat because it looks a very good track, but I think there'll be a little bit of early moisture there. And hopefully now, as well as the greater frequency of more international teams and commentators travelling to Australia, the Australian team was also touring more overseas. The first time ABC Radio broadcast a test series from India was in 1998. Jim Maxwell was one of the commentators, as was Tim Lane. Jim and I travelled together and we teamed up with Mike Coward and Peter Roebuck, both very well known as writers. So we travelled around uh, three tests, the first in Chennai, the second in Kolkata and the third in Bangalore and it was an incredible experience. I hadn't been to India before that, had heard lots of tales and Australian teams would go there with a defeatist attitude. That was starting to change. And the atmosphere really from the first moment was like nothing we had experienced. It was hot and it was humid and the commentary boxes were terrible and, you know, ramshackle, dusty, cramped, view not necessarily great, all of that sort of thing. But it was part of it and it was magic. Chennai calling Sydney and uh, all other ABC stations going ahead in two minutes. It began with me on the air for the first ball. Jim, who was our technical producer and, and technician as well as everything else. Going ahead in 10. Was on a mobile phone waiting for the cue to put me Five. on the air. He gave me the cue. I started the broadcast. And good afternoon, Australia. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be listening from the MA Chidambaram Stadium in Chennai at the start of the first test between Australia and India. And for this and subsequent Australian tours of India, Harsha Bogle has been a part of the commentary team. I remember the 2001 test match in Kolkata that, that was, of course, the game every Indian remembers because Rahul Dravid and Vivius Lakshman batted through the fourth day. Lakshman made 281, Dravid made 180, and then Australia collapsed on, on the last day. But the day before the game, there were, there were no engineers. Jim is a proper DIY man. Jim and Glenn, Glenn Mitchell were on that tour. And they had to get two lines from All India Radio and the overseas broadcasting arm, which was called VSNL. And there was an ISD line and an ISDN line. The ISD line was for chatting with the studio back in Sydney or Melbourne, where it was then. And the ISDN was a data line that was supposed to take the voice feed. Now, the stickers on the two boxes got interchanged by mistake. So we were on an ISD line and it kept dropping off. And we actually did a major part of the day on Jim Maxwell's mobile phone. Mobile phones had just come in. So we were actually doing it off a mobile phone. Which the technical people in Australia at the ABC weren't happy with. Harbhajan bowls to him, and he's gone for the slog. He's got it away. He's got it past fine leg, but it doesn't matter where that's gone because Adam Gilchrist is 100 not out. 
And I dare say it's just been the innings of his life. Uh, but I think it gave the broadcast some authenticity that perhaps it didn't have when it was on a normal broadcast line and we could have been just down the road at the SCG, at least crackling on a mobile phone and, and whatever problems we had. You know, It did sound as if we were on the phone line from Nagpur or, or wherever, uh, which was the case. It, it, it was an adventure until we discovered that the ISDN line was actually next door. Oh, dear. And we were able to do it well. <laughs> um, so you did have a lot of frustrations in that era. It's a lot more different now. Yeah, we move on. But um, memorable days in trying to get on air, I can assure you. There was one cricket nation missing from all the increased international touring and hosting in the 1970s and 80s, and that was South Africa. National sports teams boycotted South Africa to protest against apartheid. But there were rebel cricket tours. Australian teams played in South Africa in 1985, 86 and 87. So did the ABC cover these matches in any way? I think they may have got a mention occasionally on the news, but no. No, it wasn't regarded as a official cricket. Not even the press covered it very much. I was invited by Ali Barker to go over there. Ali Barker is a former South African cricket captain and sports administrator who encouraged the rebel tours. Um, and he was trying to get a lot of people to go to, to give their cricket series some legitimacy, I suppose, in the eyes of the world. And they were very good cricketers. Um, but, you know, they were renegade mercenary teams that were selected. They weren't the official teams. So people just tended to look upon it as being an, you know, an opportunity for cricketers to go and earn some money. But uh, it was a bit sort of blood money and it was morally questionable and all the rest of it. You know, everyone else was trying to break apartheid down which uh, didn't happen that long after, really. Another six years uh, when Nelson Mandela came onto the stage and um, South Africa were readmitted to international cricket. Jim, were you at all tempted by the offer to go? I was. I was very tempted. It wasn't to go and broadcast the matches, but to go and see, according to um, Dr Barker, the good things that South African cricket were doing for the game in the widest possible sense of emancipating those on the fringe, the outliers, into the game somehow, the good deeds that they were doing around what was still basically a white man's game in South Africa. Um, but a combination of my mother and one or two people at the ABC said it's not a good idea and I, I didn't go. Sometimes cricket commentators, when they're covering an overseas series, have to suddenly turn into eyewitness reporters. It happened to Alan McGilvray in the West Indies in 1978. Cricket writer Gideon Haig picks up the story. Yeah, there was an amazing test match, the last test match of the series in 78 uh, at Sabina Park uh, between Australia and the West Indies, which ended in a riot where the local crowd were furious about the decision of a local umpire and decided to make their dissatisfaction known. It was broadcast by a, um, a rather intimidated but nonetheless independent Alan McGilvray from high in his commentary eerie. ABC, ABC, uh, Alan McGilvray here. The riot's still going on. There's a, the police are out in the middle. A lot of bottles are still all over the ground. I don't know what Simpson's going to do, but the manager of Mr. Bennett's out there in the middle. Well, they're not in the middle. They're well away from the 
where the uh, those bottles and stones are being thrown and the police surround them as I leave the ground. Now ball bottles are coming and they took out the double off the ground and they're being rained with bottles. But uh, hundreds of bottles are pouring on there. The players are diving for shovel and uh, they're in undercover. So even though you couldn't see it on television and even though the news coverage of it in the newspapers ran considerably later, you got a sense of real immediacy and a sense of real drama that was conveyed in, in real time. With McGilvray speaking into the microphone and holding his briefcase full of papers <laughs> in front of him in case there were any stray bullets from the police mm. who'd arrived. Yeah, it's a fantastic piece of broadcasting from McGilvray. Now, all we see on the field now are dozens and dozens of police. And as they ran off the field, they were shard. And the umpire's been taken off uh, under protection. This is not funny. From 1988, when Darshak Mehta was living in Australia, he, of course, as a self-confessed victim of cricket, settled into listening to the ABC radio coverage, which from 1991 included Harsha Bogle. Well, look, I'm terribly biased. Harsha is, I call him the voice of India, or in Hindi, Hindustan ki pechan, Bharat ki awaz, meaning the voice of India, literally. And... To have him offer a perspective balances out the commentary greatly because I think Australians are excellent commentators, but they are very parochial. You ask any of the migrant communities here in Australia, somehow the television and radio commentators are very parochial and they seem very parochial, particularly when you are supporting another team. So, look, Harsha has balanced it out. And I think it is sensational that the ABC seeks out a person of the touring team's background or origin to give a perspective occasionally on air. I think it's sensational. And what's been Harsha Bogle's own experience of this? The feedback from Indian-Australian listeners. The very first time I came there, they were very excited at the fact that there was at last an Indian voice on Australian radio because the, the early lot of people who migrated to Australia, late 70s, early 80s, uh, they were great cricket lovers, all of them, as every Indian is, and they hadn't heard an Indian accent on Australian radio. And they were very excited at the fact that there was an Indian point of view that was being put out. So it was a very heartwarming reception from the Indians who were settled in Australia but also from the Australians. I've still got newspaper clippings. I was so excited at the fact that some, somebody noticed me. It benefited me enormously, Amanda, because that series was not coming back to India on television. So radio was the only source for Indian cricket lovers on what was happening in Australia. And All India Radio was taking the ABC feed. So someone who just done a handful of games in India, I got known in India as a result of doing that series. So how much has the sound of ABC cricket commentary changed as far as who's represented and how far is there still to go? Tim Lane has been a cricket commentator for a long time, now with commercial TV and with ABC Radio until 2003. Certainly there's been massive change in the years since I finished at the ABC and that's a fair expanse of time, obviously. And, and you know, there are so many different voices and that's not just about 
race or gender. It's sort of also about the way people talk and, you know, how they sound. Once upon a time, it was the domain of white-skinned, older, resonant-voiced male commentators, and it's not anymore. I must say, having grown up with that, what would now be seen as, you know, a, a very dated way of doing it, I loved it because I didn't question it and nobody else did in those times. Well, as you're suggesting, it's important now to keep expanding and diversifying the range of voices on the commentary team. Well, that's that's life, isn't it? And the ABC is very much at the cutting edge of all of that and it's reflected in cricket as well as in other sports. But cricket is archetypal in a way in Australian sports broadcasting and so what happens there, you know, is very reflective of Australian life. And next time on Everlasting Summer, we finally get two women on the field and in the commentary box and the art of cricket commentary across gender and culture. Everlasting Summer is a co-production of ABC Sport and ABC RN. I'm Amanda Smith and you can find all episodes of this series on the ABC Listen app. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.